All right, so uh, the excellent word, part three this morning, we'll be looking at Psalm 119, verses 41 through 64. So moving through three of these eight-verse stanzas as we continue our verse-by-verse, you know, teaching of the Psalms and then slowing down here, and because it's such a long chapter, 176 verses in Psalm 119, and and really it's all about the Word of God. It's all about the excellency of the Word of God, and so we're going to kind of jump back in, but before we do, I want to uh, let you know that each of these stanzas I have you know kind of a focus and so for the first stanza we're going to focus on active faith Um, the the second we're going to focus on comfort in affliction and then thirdly we'll see the reward of obedience and if you're not have a chance to write these down we'll we'll mention them again as we move through so let's move into our first section and that's active faith we find this in Psalm 119 verses 41 through 48 and the Hebrew letter there is wa and so I want to read verses 41 and 42, and then kind of get into it. It says, Let your mercies come also to me, O Lord, your salvation according to your word. So shall I have an answer for him who reproaches me, for I trust in your word. And so a few things to, to gather right away. And, and again, most of what we're going to cover in Psalm 119 are reminders. These are things that we already know, but it's, it's helpful because we as sheep forget We need to constantly be reminded of these truths. And so what we see, first of all, in verses 41 and 42 is that as we trust in God's word, we're going to, and we trust in God's word, we trust in his mercies, and his deliverance will come to us, okay? So it's really vital. You can't trust God without trusting in his word. There's a lot of people who say, well, I believe in God, and we ask them, well, what do you mean by that? And what he is, the God that they believe in is just a figment of their imagination, He's just a celestial Santa Claus that they've put together and they've kind of cobbled it together and made it this thing, and it's not real. So what happens is as we get to know God through his word, then we begin to trust him. We trust what he has to say. We trust his, his mercies. We trust the deliverance that will come to us. But also what we see in there, it, it goes beyond these mercies and deliverance, as wonderful as they are, it actually moves outward. Notice, it says, so I shall have an answer for him who reproaches me. In other words, as we trust in God's word, as we trust in his mercies, as we trust in his deliverance, we'll be equipped by his word, by the mercies we've received, by the deliverances of trouble, to actually have an answer for our enemies. That's really important. I I find it, you know, as I, and of course this is something that's, let's just call it an obsession. It's obsession with me is learning and teaching and sharing and doing it here at church and doing it at school. I find so often that within modern Western Christianity, there's not really a desire to learn, a desire to have an answer, but we need to be those people who have answers. I believe strongly that Christians should be the smartest people on the planet, the hardest working, the ones who really are digging in for answers. And and so here's the lessons I want to bring out of verses 41 and 42. Number one, trust comes first. Okay, so that's the first part. Trust comes first, and it's interesting. Paul tells us in Romans that faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. So you guys are putting, by you choosing to come on a Sunday morning, to sit here and to listen to the word of God being taught, you're putting yourself in that place where your faith can grow. Because faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. The more that you put yourself under the, the word of God, the more that you read the word of God, you hear sermons taught that are, that are true and accurate according to the word of God, your faith will grow. That is just this is how it happens. So that trust comes first. Second thing, lesson I want to get from verses 41 and 42 is we will have enemies. Okay, sometimes we think, well, if I serve God really well 
and I, I, I dot my I's and I cross my T's and I do everything, everyone's gonna like me. What I remind my students all the time is I said, Jesus trusted God completely, Jesus never sinned, and they crucified him. And Jesus says, as the master is, so shall the, so shall the servant be. So you're gonna have enemies, just accept it. Just accept it as a believer that you are going to have enemies. But then the third thing to see here is God will give us answers. So we're not only to say, well, I have enemies and there's all these enemies, so what I'll do is I'll talk bad about them on Facebook. Or I have these enemies and so I'm just gonna, you know what, you, as you did unto me, I'll do unto you, that kind of attitude. No, what we see here is that we're gonna be able to have answers for those who approach us. You know, Peter talks about always being ready to have an answer for the hope that is within us. So this is a wonderful thing. Now, not all your enemies are gonna listen, but there are gonna be some enemies who actually are at least open to hearing from you. And so we wanna have an answer for them. We wanna share truth with them. And so um, our enemies may not listen to the answers that we give, but God, as we trust in him, will at least give us those answers. And here's what thing's gonna happen. When you have answers for your enemies, even if they don't listen, you're gonna be encouraged. When you realize that there are answers for these all kinds of like these atheistic questions and those who come against you, when you realize that, that every false argument that comes against a Christian is false, then you're gonna be encouraged in your faith. All right, let's move on to verses 43 through 48. I'm gonna read through verses 43 and 48 all at once and then we're gonna come back and kind of take it piece by piece. But here's what I want you to notice, please, as we're moving through. I want you to notice all the action words. Okay, this is about having an active faith. So verse 43, and take not the word out of, um, and take not the word of truth utterly out of my mouth, for I have hoped in your ordinances. I shall keep your law continually forever and ever. I will walk at liberty, for I seek your precepts. I will speak of your testimonies also before kings and will not be ashamed, for I will delight myself in your commandments, which I love. My hands also I will lift up to your commandments, which I love, and I will meditate on your statutes. Active, an active faith. I want to encourage you toward an active faith, right? We don't want to be Christians who are passive. If you, you know, on your own, I don't have it on my notes, but you can, you can write down Ephesians 2, verses 8 through 10. It's interesting, Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, 8 and 9 is, you know, for we've been saved by grace through faith, that not of ourselves, it's a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Okay, right, so salvation is all by grace through faith. Jesus Christ accomplished it at the cross. The moment we believed, the moment we were drawn by the Holy Spirit and believed, we're born again by the Spirit. But it's interesting, verse 10 says, for we are his workmanship in Christ Jesus, created, in, uh, created for good works, that we should walk in them. It's that active faith. So please understand, because sometimes Christianity, and sometimes pastors do this, they make it seem like you need to have an active faith to earn your salvation. It's not true. If you read those verses in order, you see that salvation was earned by Christ and received to you as a gift. But then verse 10 tells us that once we're saved by grace through faith, then we have a job to do. We have a purpose. We, we're to walk these things out. We're to live these things out. So it's a wonderful, wonderful truth that you and I can be, have, a, have a purpose as Christians. We're to walk out those good works God has called us to, but we're not working for salvation. We're working from salvation. Not working for our salvation, we're working from our salvation. Our salvation is complete the moment you believed in Jesus Christ, okay? But then, as we actively work these things out, and it's gonna be challenging, it's gonna be difficult, it's gonna be hard at times, but what we're gonna find is, ah, oh, this is what we're built for. 
This is what we made for. This is my purpose here on earth. So looking back at these action words, I want to pick back up in verse 43. Notice, uh, and take not the word of truth utterly out of my mouth, for I have hoped in your ordinances. And so I want to focus on, on that for just a minute. I've hoped in your ordinances. Hope is a word that speaks of a future orientation, of looking forward. And I've come to believe that men and women cannot live without hope. You have to have hope. And so sometimes when we kind of lose hope, we manufacture hope. Or it's like, I really hope I get to go somewhere good to eat on Friday. <laughs> right? And so we've got to hope for something. There's got to be a reason to move us forward. But, but what is this biblical hope, this hoping in God's ordinances, his laws, his truth? How does that work? How do we get this kind of hope? Would you turn with me for just a minute to Romans chapter 5? Romans chapter 5 tells us, and this is what we want to do. We want to look to the word of God. What does the word of God say about these things? If we want to be people who hope in his ordinances, well, how does that happen? Well, I'd love to tell you that it just pops out of the sky. It just falls down on you and you become a hopeful person. It's actually a little bit of a process. Notice Romans 5, we're going to look at verses 1 through 5. Paul says, therefore, having been justified by faith, okay, so he's talking to believers, Right, we've been justified. That means we've been made that that we're we're no longer sinners in God's eyes. That that all of our sin has been taken away. Our, we've been accounted as righteous. We've been justified by God, just as if I'd never sinned. By faith, notice we have peace with God through our our Lord Jesus Christ. Awesome. So we're no longer at war with God. Right, God doesn't have anything against us anymore. The 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 judgment for our sins because of what Christ has done, and we can have peace. Notice verse two, through whom, so it's through Jesus, also we have access, okay? So if you kind of think about like if you go to a concert, you know, you have like that backstage pass, you have full access. That's what you have with God. We have access by faith into what? Into this grace. God's riches at Christ's exp expense. Unmerited favor from God in which we stand. So now we can stand. We can stand before God through Christ and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. So awesome things. Too much there to, to try to take apart right now. I'm going to kind of move on. He says, and not only that, we also, and here's where it gets a little dicey because he's going to tell us how we, how we can become hopeful people, but notice how it starts. We also glory in tribulations. We're like, Paul, I really love verses one and two, but verse three, I'm, I'm not so excited about because tribulation, what does it mean? It means tribulation. <laughs> it means difficulty. It means a, a narrow place. It means hard stuff. So, so God wants us to glory in tribulations, not because we're masochists. You know, a masochist is a person who enjoys being in pain. That's not what God says. It's a person who says, you know, I just really want to go to the dentist again, see what happens. Okay, that's not what he's saying here. He's saying we want to glory in our tribulations. Why? Notice next, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance. So that word perseverance could be translated endurance. Okay, so I have difficulty in my life. You have difficulty in life. How can I glory in that difficulty? I can glory in it knowing that God is going to use that to help me to be a person who perseveres, a person who endures. Uh, that, that's why, you know, if a, a cross-country coach makes these kids run so far because they want them to be people who persevere, Want people to endure. That way when, cross, when, the, when the race comes by on Saturday morning, then they're able to finish the race. But it doesn't stop there because that perseverance, that endurance, what does it go to? It goes to character. Or it could be translated proven character or approved character. God wants us to be people of character. 
people that can be counted on, people that have substance and depth, and then what happens out of that? Out of that character comes hope. Isn't that amazing? I, I never would have thought that. I thought if I were writing the Bible, I would have been like, well, we could be people of hope when we just get everything we want. <laughs> but that doesn't make people of hope. That actually makes people of entitlement, spoiled people. So this is, this is God's roadmap for hope, is to glory in our tribulations, knowing that as we glory in those tribulations that it produces perseverance as we endure, that perseverance produces character and that character hope. A, a person who's of true character is a hopeful person because they realize this world is not all there is. They've seen some stuff. They've seen God fix things. They've seen God change things. They've seen God move. And, and so if we find ourselves in a place today where we're just hopeless people, then we need to go back to the beginning and say, Lord, let me glory in whatever difficulty I'm going through. Give me the power to persevere in this so that a character might be built and hope comes out of that. No, notice verse five. Now hope does not disappoint. In other words, godly hope is gonna see a beautiful end. The end for the godly is gonna be way better than we can even imagine. And he says, because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. There's a lot we can kind of dig into that and try to interpret that. And here's one thing I just want to offer to you, that as believers, you've been sealed by the Holy Spirit until the day of redemption. You have the Holy Spirit living in your lives. Jesus says that out of our innermost being will flow rivers of living water. So as you and I submit to this, as we submit to glory and tribulations, knowing that God's building perseverance and perseverance character and character hope, as we submit to that in the power of the Holy Spirit, what's going to happen is the Holy Spirit is, is going to have this amazing communion with us. He's going to, you know, we're, we're going to grow in relationship with him and we're going to become hopeful people. That's what God wants. But again, it doesn't come without this, this process. So with this in mind, would you turn back now to Psalm 119? We'll continue on here. I want to pick up now in verse 44. It says, so I shall keep your law continually forever and ever. Really what I want you to get, get from this or, or to consider is this attitude of habitual obedience. That's what it is. When he says, I'll keep, I will keep your law continually, it just means that's your thing, your habitual obedience. For anyone who's been in the military, you know that in the military they teach habitual obedience. <laughs> I want you to do this. I want you to begin and end this sentence with sir. Uh, I, I want you to obey. I want you to be trained to obey. And then when, when a, a military man or woman is able to obey in that way, then they're useful. Because immediately they're going to do what they're asked to do. That's what God wants us to be, is people who, who have habitual obedience. Not I obey on Sunday, and kind of Friday's really my day, though, and that kind of stuff. No, what we have here is really a settled decision. It's not something to debate. It's like, I'm going to be a person who obeys. Now, let's be honest. There's a lot of things in this book that we don't want to do, right? So it's not about having an attitude of like, well, I just love everything in here and I always want to obey. It's not going to be like that. It's saying, man, I don't like what this says, but I'm going to do it because God said to do it. It's that attitude. Sometimes we think that if we don't feel like doing it, well, then that's our out. But, but what mom has felt like changing the fifth diaper of the day, right? But she does that because she sees a greater good, the health and well-being of her child. So it is for you and I. This habitual obedience is not about how we feel. 
It's about saying, this is what God has said. I don't see how this makes sense in the moment, but I'm going to just go ahead and obey him. But the great thing about that is we, can, we can't feel our way into right actions, but we can act our way into right feelings. As we continually obey what's going to happen over time, we're going to be like, oh, this is the right thing to do. This is what I should be doing. This is a life well lived. Let's look at verse 45 now. It says, now this, this next action word, so we've seen hoped, we've seen keep, and now we see walk. I will walk at liberty for I seek your precepts. And so the action word I want to focus on there is walk. And I love that. I will walk at liberty. That word liberty or at liberty could be translated literally as in a wide place. I walk in a wide place. Okay. One of my favorite things to do is when we go on this junior trip at the end of the year with uh, the students from our school, and we spend two days in New York City. You cannot walk at liberty in New York City. (laughs) It is just, I still like it. It's energetic, it's fun, but you don't have much freedom. Well, we leave New York after that second day and we go to Gettysburg. And when you walk the battlefields at Gettysburg, when you walk at night to go eat dinner and eat ice cream in Gettysburg, and you can literally walk down the sidewalk with your arms like this, just walk along, you won't hit anybody. It's beautiful. You can walk at liberty. Please hear me. Obedience brings freedom. That's what the scripture says. I I will walk at liberty for I seek your precepts. In other words, when you and I just choose to live a life of habitual obedience, that's the freest life you can live. We understand this, right? Because what does society do with people who refuse to use their liberty wisely, their freedom wisely? They put them in jail. They put them in prison. And so so it is for you and I. As we walk in disobedience, we can be in relational prison, right? We can be in the prisons of our circumstances. And so let us walk in obedience because, man, freedom is found there. Let me give you a verse that speaks about this. John 8, 31, Jesus said, if you abide in my word, in other words, if you obey my word, you live in my word, you you, you, um, make my word your home. If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. It's great freedom when we just trust the Lord, when we obey him. Next we see there in verse 45, the next action word, for I seek your precepts. That word seek means to actively inquire of, to examine, to look for. So I believe I seek your precepts. I believe it speaks of a diligent study of the word of God, which ties us back to walking at liberty. Notice, I walk at liberty for I seek your precepts. When we study the word of God, we obey the word of God, it allows us to walk in a wide place. And so this is important. We must diligently study the word of God if we're serious about living in freedom. We must diligently study the word of God if we're serious about living in freedom because this world wants to enslave you. Satan wants to enslave you. He's the God of this age with a little g. His lies, his misinformation are everywhere. Every kook with a keyboard is is able to lie to us, put their information out there. And so it's vital for us to turn off the noise, to get into the word of God and say, what does the word of God say about these things? Let me believe that. This is what Jesus said in John chapter 10, verse nine. He said, the thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. God wants you to have freedom. God wants you to have the abundant life. Now don't misunderstand that. The the abundant life is not, well, I need to have the most expensive car possible. 
and the biggest house possible and the, the, the best suit possible. That's not the abundant life. The abundant life is that you know the Lord and you're walking with the Lord. The abundant life is that you know where you're going, that you know that, that what you're doing now in this life counts for not only for this world but for eternity. That's the abundant life, the life with the Lord, the freedom that it gives. And Paul warned uh, about giving up your freedom in Galatians chapter five, verse one. There in Galatia, that they were being, uh, the, the church was being infiltrated by legalists, by false teachers who were spying out their freedom and taking it away. And this is what Paul said, Galatians 5.1. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free and do not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. When somebody comes up on your, you know, your YouTube feed and they say, hey, you need to be doing this. Why aren't you going to church on Saturday? Because only true believers go to church on Saturday. That's a, and you don't know the word of God. And so now all of a sudden you're feeling this condemnation and this bondage. And oh, I, just, I just don't know what I should be doing. It's go back to the word of God. Don't, don't allow these legalists to spy out your freedom. And so here's what happens. Uh, th- there's a lot of talk, and I don't want to stir up anything, but there's a lot of talk about immunizations in the last few years, if you hadn't noticed. <laughs> uh, there's all of this and vaccines and all these kind of things. Here's what I want to say. Seeking God's precepts, seeking God's word, immunizes us against false teachings that would enslave us. False teachings enslave people who haven't been immunized, who haven't been vaccinated by the word of God. If you're immunized, if you're vaccinated by the word of God, then you won't listen to false teaching. And here's the good news, or one of the many good news is, you can prepare yourself to judge what I have to say is being true or not. As you know the word of God, then you can come and say, well, well, I don't know, Steve's twisting the scripture, he's saying this, he's saying that. You can do that if you know the word of God. So I'm trying to prepare you to, to that, uh, I'm trying to help you to see this reality. Because again, the world's full of liars, and I like to affectionately call it our baloney detector. When you know the word of God, then when someone starts teaching something false, the baloney detector goes off. Like, that doesn't seem right. That doesn't seem accurate. All right, verse 46. Next action word is speak here. He says, uh, and for I will speak of your testimonies also before kings and will not be ashamed. And, and so the, the, willing, the, the psalmist is willing to speak up. He's willing to speak up about the word of God even before rulers, right? Even before authorities. Who's the highest you know, authority we can think in those days? It would be kings. So he says, even before kings, even before the highest authority, I'm willing to share the word of God. That's really, really important. Now, I, I don't have it in, in, uh, on the slide, but also when it says, I will not be ashamed, you know, we think about Romans 1.16, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is a power of God until salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. And, and so, but, but thinking about this speaking before authorities, I, I want to turn you to the New Testament. Would you turn to Matthew chapter 10 for just a moment? So as you turn to Matthew chapter 10, what we have here is uh, the Lord Jesus was going to send out his 12, send out the 12, Send out the, the disciples on a mission trip, a little short-term mission trip. But he gives them some warnings about kind of their future ministry and how difficult it was going to be. So uh, Matthew chapter 10, we're going to, so in, in verses 5 through 15, Jesus is, is kind of giving them instruction for this short-term mission trip. But then as we move in verses 16 through 20, he's telling them about kind of their future ministry. After he is ascended into heaven, these are some of the things that they could expect. 
okay? It says this, behold, I send you out, so picking up in Matthew 10, verse 16, behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, therefore be wise as serpents and harmless as doves, but beware of men, for they will deliver you to the councils and scourge you in the synagogues. Uh, You will be brought before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles, okay? So the disciples were going to have the the time later on in their ministry where they're going to be brought before these religious rulers and these secular rulers, and it was going to be up to them to share the truth in the midst of that. And so then we have further instruction. Notice, but when they deliver you up, do not worry about how or what you should speak, for it will be given to you in that hour what you should speak. For it is not you who speak, but the spirit of your father who speaks in you. So this beautiful promise that these disciples who had spent time with the Lord, who were filled with the Holy Spirit, who knew the word of God, when the moment came for them to speak before these kings and these authorities, that they would be able to speak that with confidence. And we have a little bit of that in the book of Acts. Right? We won't turn there, but you know, Peter and John are arrested and they're able to say the right thing in that moment. So it's wonderful things. So here's a lesson for you and I. If we are to be willing to speak the word before kings, before the highest people in the land, the highest authorities, then we should be willing to speak the word of God to anyone below that, right? So if if God provides the opportunity, then we should be willing to speak that truth, to speak the truth of the word of God. Now, a little aside before we turn back to Psalm 119, unfortunately, verses 19 and 20 of Matthew 10 are some, I've actually heard this, I'm not joking with you, are used as a justification for pastors not to study, I've actually heard that used where pastors say, well, I don't study for my sermons because, you know, when it's, you know, whenever the hour is, the the Lord's going to give me what to say. That's not a justification. That's a miscommunication because this is talking about being persecuted, all those sort of things. I just bring that up to let you know that that's how I do it. I don't study at all. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I actually do that. Come on, guys. All right, let's turn back to Psalm 119. Psalm 119, verse 47. Notice, and I will delight myself in your commandments, which I love. I love that. I will delight myself in your commandments, which I love. And so this is an acquired taste. This is one of those things that probably most people don't come to the word of God and immediately love it. Most people, it begins as work. Because like, ah, what is this going on? What does this say? But as we dig in, as we continue to study the word of God, as we get to know the characters of the Bible, as the Holy Spirit moves in our lives, illuminates things, then the more we come to it, the more we love it. And so it's an acquired taste. So, so if you're in a place right now and you say, well, I don't, I'm not really delighting myself in the commandments of God. I'm, I'm not really loving the commandments of God. That's okay. It's okay to just be honest and say, that's where I am today. Well, what's the remedy? Is to go before the Lord. Ask him to give you a love for his word. Ask him to illuminate your heart, illuminate your mind, and just get into it. Just do the work. And so it's, it's a wonderful, wonderful thing. I want to give you a verse along these lines. It's, it's 1 John chapter 5, verse 3. It says, for this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. Okay, for this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. In other words, we show that we love God by obeying him. So that's key. For you to delight yourself in the word of God, for you to love God's commandments, you actually have to obey them. Because if you don't obey them, then every time you read the word of God, it's just gonna be more condemnation because you're not obeying, okay? It's gonna be like, you know, when you were little and you went to the pool 
and then there's this, all these things you can't do at the pool, right? It's like 15 things, and you're just like, oh, I don't want to see that, because I do want to run around the pool. You know, I do want to do all these things. You, had, you didn't want to obey that. Same thing happens when we come to the Word of God. The Word of God can be like that sign at the pool. Ah, I don't want to do these things. So instead, just saying, you know what, I'm going to obey this as much as God can empower me to do that. And what happens is you start obeying it, then you're going to be loving God by obeying. And once you love God more, you're going to love his word more. And then, so 1 John 5, 3, I want to read it for you again. and Read the whole thing this time. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. Notice, and his commandments are not burdensome. That's radical. He's saying that the commandments of God are not a burden. They're not something to weigh you down. Instead, what have we already seen? There's something to set you free. It's a lie of the devil that says if you obey, you're missing out. Paul tells us in Romans that actually when we disobey, when we sin, then what we're doing is we're actually in bondage to sin. So let me offer you something. I'm going to offer you for your mind to think about this, to ask yourself in the quietness of your heart, do you view God's commandments as weights or as wings? Do you view God's commandments as weights or as wings? And I just want you to ask you to be to honest. Just be honest with yourself. Because if you're viewing them as weights, something's not right. Right? Something needs to be changed. An attitude needs to be fixed. Uh, something needs to be repented of. Any of those kind of things. Instead, God's commandments are wings. God's commandments allow us to live above the ways of this world. The fleshly desires that, that, that everyone is consumed in. It allows us to be different. So I'd ask you to, to consider that this week. Verse 48, let's move on. It says, my hands also I will lift up to your commandments, which I love, and I will meditate on your statutes. Okay, so this lifting up, these lifted hands, you know, I, I don't exactly know. Is it lifted hands in worship? Maybe. Is it lifted hands in surrender? Is it both? Probably. That's how I would view it. I would view it lifted hands and worship to God, but also lifted hands and surrender, that I'll do what you want me to do. It is interesting, you know, that the, when we raise our hands and worship to God, that's a universal sign of surrender, right? It's a universal sign of surrender, but it's also what every little kid does when they want to be picked up, <laughs> right? And for us as believers, we all want to be picked up, <laughs> We all want to be taken home to, to, to be with the Lord. So all of these things kind of go together. And then that word meditate in there in verse 48, another active word, it means to talk to oneself. It means to contemplate and to consider. So it's this idea of as I'm meditating on God's word, I'm thinking about it. I'm contemplating it. I'm considering it. I'm talking with others about it. It, it ties into Psalm chapter 1 verse 2, which again, I, I would make a note of Psalm 1. If you're in a place today where you don't really feel like you have a, a love for the word of God, I would encourage you to memorize Psalm 1. It's not very long. I'd encourage you to work on memorizing, but Psalm 1 verse 2 says this, the man of God, his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. So as we just consider the word of God, we meditate on it, we contemplate it, we think about it, we find ourselves loving it more and more. Because this is what happens. We all spend time focusing on what we love. If we love something, we'll focus on it. And the more we focus on it, the more we love it. That's the principle. And so Jesus made this clear that this was going to happen. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 21, in the Sermon on the Mount, he said this, Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Whatever we focus on, whatever we love, our heart will be connected to it. Our heart will be drawn toward it. 
And so it's this beautiful thing. And we say, okay, I, I really want the word of God to, to, to have my heart because the word of God is the avenue by which I relate to God and know God. So what am I gonna do is I'm gonna, I'm gonna just meditate on it. I'm gonna delight in it. I'm gonna obey it. And what we're gonna see is this beautiful thing will happen that will be drawn toward the Lord and his commandments. All right, let's move on to our next section here. Our second section, Psalm 119, verses 49 through 56. The Hebrew letter is Zayin. And the, the phrase for this section is comfort in affliction comfort in affliction, that God offers us comfort in affliction, and we'll move through this uh, section fairly quickly. We see in verses 49 and 50 here, remember the word to your servant upon which you have caused me to hope. Okay, so God's word, oh, oops, I forgot verse 50, sorry, verse 50, this is my comfort in my affliction, your word has given me life. So remember the word to your servant, upon which you have caused me to hope. This is my comfort in affliction, for your word has given me life. Okay, so what I, what I want to point out here is that God's word gives hope, God's word gives comfort, and God's gi word gives life, all in the midst of affliction. Okay, in the midst of affliction. It doesn't say that you won't have affliction. It says, in the midst of my affliction, right? This is my comfort in affliction. So we are going to have affliction, we are going to have difficulty. We are going to have hardship. Kenneth Boa talks about how age and infirmity is what God uses to untether us from this world. Right? So we're going to have affliction, but in the midst of that, God's word gives us hope. God's word gives us comfort. God's word gives us life. Now, here's, here's the catch, though. These things are only possible if we know God's word. We can't have hope, comfort, and life in the midst of affliction in God's word if we don't know God's word. If we don't know. But so, so what's the key? Well, learn God's word. <laughs> Study God's word. So when, that, when your world is falling apart, you know, Romans eight twenty eight that you know that all things work together for the good for those who love God, for those who are the called according to your purpose, to his purpose. So when you know the word of God, then in the midst of affliction, you can receive that hope, comfort, and life. Let's look at verses 51 through 53 now. It says, The proud have me in great derision, yet I do not turn aside from your law. I remembered your judgments of old, O Lord, and have comforted myself. Indignation has taken hold of me because of the wicked who forsake your law. Okay, so the psalmist, he was in the midst of hostile, I'm sorry, hostile unbelievers all around him, but notice he refused to turn aside from the word of God. Okay, so, so it wasn't a question of whether or not he had enemies. He had enemies. They were surrounding him. They were making his life difficult, but he refused to turn aside from the word of God. And so let me give you some applications here. One of them is taken from Damien Kyle. He, I, I, I've heard him say this a bunch of times. He says this, don't throw away your Bible yet. <laughs> you know, some, oh, we made this new discovery. Scientists made this, he says, don't, don't throw away your Bible. Right, or there's this difficulty, don't throw away your Bible. Oh, this COVID thing, what is this? Don't throw away your Bible. Okay, hold on to the word of God. Don't throw away your Bible. Don't give in to the ungodly culture. Satan has been lying since Genesis 3. He hasn't quit on it. So for you and me, there's no reason to give in to an ungodly culture because that's all there's ever been since Genesis 3. It's been ungodly. And, and so stay faithful to the Lord. So don't throw away your Bible. Don't give in to ungodly culture and stay faithful to the Lord. Another Damien Kyle-ism he would say is it's always too soon to quit. 
It's always too soon to quit. You can retire from the Christian life when God takes you home. Until then, stay at your post. Until then, stand strong. Keep going forward. You're going to have enemies. God has enabled you to hold on to his word by his spirit. Let's look at verses 54 through 56 now. He says, your statutes have been my songs in the house of my pilgrimage. I remember your name in the night, O Lord, and I keep your law. This has become mine because I kept your precepts. Now, there's two words from this section I I want you to take note of. Verse 54, we see the word pilgrimage, and in verse 55, we see the word night, okay? So both of those speak of being in a place where things are kind of not quite as they should be, right? Because a pilgrimage means you're not at home, and, and, and night, speaking of here, you can't see everything. It speaks of darkness and uncertainty. So we're not at home, and we're in darkness and uncertainty. So, so this, is, this is our life here on earth. This life is a pilgrimage. Th- this life is, we can't see everything clearly. We can't understand how it all works out. So what happens is God's word, it points us home, and it lights our way until dawn. God points us, God's word points us home and lights our way until dawn. We're on a pilgrimage at night. The day is coming, okay? We're gonna be at home and it's gonna always be day forevermore. All right, so final section this morning. Let's move into Psalm 119, verses 57 through 64. Hebrew letter is heth here. And this last section is we're gonna see the reward of obedience. The reward of obedience. Verses 57 through 60. You are my portion, O Lord, I have said that I would keep your words. I entreated your favor with my whole heart. Be merciful to me according to your word. I thought about my ways and turned my feet to your testimonies. So I made haste and did not delay to keep your commandments. Okay, so a few things I want to bring out. First of all, notice he says, you are my portion, O Lord. And so portion, it means that that thing that we want, Okay, that thing that we desire. You guys all know what this is, right? You, you know, you, there's, uh, there's pizza, you know, and, and maybe there's only two slices left, and you're thinking, I really want that, my portion <laughs> of this pizza. We've all done it. Thanksgiving's getting close, and so we've got to start thinking about these things. Um, but when it says when God is our portion, what that means is he is what we want, Okay, and so if he is our portion, we'll obey his commandments. Notice, you are my portion, O Lord. I have said that I would keep your words. I want to talk about this for just a minute, about God being our portion, us obeying him. Okay, um, at MCA, we have students uh, read Aristotle, okay, and, and they, they're angry about it. Because <laughs> the Aristotle book, they don't have to read the whole thing, but I'm not exaggerating. It is probably this thick. Okay, and they complain about how much it fills up their backpack and they can't understand it. And yeah, we don't agree with everything that Aristotle teaches, but, but he's influenced Western culture so much it's important to know about him. But there is something I think Aristotle got completely right, and that's about friendship. Okay, this is what Aristotle taught about friendship. He taught that there's three types of friendship. That there's a pleasure friendship. That there are people you're friends with just because it makes you feel good. It's just a good time. And when you're young, that's usually the kind of friends that you want to have right? It's just, ah, it's just a good time. And they said the second type of friendship is a utility friendship, right? You make a friendship with somebody because you make a friendship with Fred because Fred has a pool, you know? And so I'm going to get something out of Fred or or someone's a friend with you because you can drive and they haven't gotten their license yet. That's a utility friendship. But what Aristotle taught is that the, the primary type of friendship, the best type of friendship is a virtuous friendship. 
You see, a virtuous friendship is where two friends are bonded together because they're both seeking true virtue. They're both about the right things. That's the kind of friendship that lasts. Not a friendship that's based on you know, similar interests or that sort of things, but two people who are about virtue. Now, now track with me here. All virtue is found in God. God is the wellspring of virtue. So, if I as a believer want to be in the highest form of friendship with God, if I want him to be my portion, if I want to be closer to him than anyone else, then I'll obey his commandments because everything he commands is virtuous. So you see what God's doing here? Is by teaching us to obey his commandments, we become more virtuous, and so now we can have a closer friendship with God. The reason why people can't have a close friendship with God is not because God doesn't love them, it's because they refuse virtue. I, I, I really don't want to be about these things. I, I want to continue just rolling around in the mud. And God says, I have something better for you than rolling around in the mud. What about a holiday at the sea? That's what God, so if you want God to be your portion, if you say, I want him to be everything to me, then practice a life of virtue. Follow his commands, walk with him. Now, we, here's, you're, gonna, you're gonna ask, because I ask, what's my reward for obeying him? What do I get out of it? What's my reward for, for seeking to live a life of virtue? That's something we often ask. Here's the reward, God himself. God himself is your reward. God himself is my reward. You know, so I, I can't explain all the rewards in heaven and kind of for our faithfulness. I, I don't know what that's gonna be like, but, but here's what I believe it'll be like, that we'll get to be in close fellowship and relationship with God. I believe that's the best reward possible. The best reward possible is, is to have this virtuous relationship with God that you know him. The greatest gift that God can give us is himself. What can God give us that's greater than himself? I mean, the, the, the whole reason it's meaningful when he says, well done, good and faithful servant, is because he's the one saying it. That if, if he just you know, mailed us a certificate, <laughs> well, I'll put it on my wall, but we want him. We want relationship with him. That's where all this is. In Genesis chapter 15, verse one, this is what God said to Abraham. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. That Abraham was a friend of God. And then what do we have in the new heaven, the new earth? Revelation 21, verse three. Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, <clears throat> excuse me, and he will dwell with him and they shall be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. So in your obedience, in my obedience, let's seek God himself as our reward. Let's not say, well, God, I'm gonna, I'm gonna obey you so you can give me this better opportunity, or I'm gonna obey you so I can get this better job, or I'm gonna obey you because all these things. That's up to him. God can do whatever he wants. Just say, Lord, I wanna obey you so I can know you. I wanna have as close a relationship with you as possible. I, I want to have that virtuous friendship with you, then God, do you, God is gonna wanna give himself to us. But we're always the block. We're the ones that there's something that we love more than him that limits his self-revelation to us. And so let's let go of those things and let him be the reward. Let's continue on now in verse 60 there. It says, I made haste and did not delay to keep your commandments. So obey God all the way, right away, without delay. Right? That's, that's a, it's a good saying for parents to use for kids. It's a good saying for us to say to ourselves. 
is to say, I want to obey God all the way, right away, without delay. Because here's the, here's the problem, and this is what we are as, as human beings. As human beings, we're habitual. In other words, we, we form our own habits. So the longer we wait to obey, the more difficult it becomes. Always. So if we put off obedience, it just gets harder and harder and harder to obey. So train yourself to become a quick obeyer. Just say, oh, this is what the word of God says, let me just go do it. And, and so you're going to train yourself in a good way. I love what Oswald Chambers writes, quote, The stamp of the saint is that he can waive his own rights and obey the Lord Jesus. The stamp of a saint is that he can waive his own rights and obey the Lord Jesus. And so obedience is laying down my rights and obeying the Lord Jesus. There's a lot of talk in our culture all about rights, 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 rights. The scripture is not about rights, but about responsibilities. My responsibility is to obey the Lord. This is what it says in Matthew 16, verses 24 and 25. Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. And whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. So when we lose our lives, when we give up our lives for Christ, then we find true life because true life is found in obedience to Christ because he knows what's best for you. You don't know what's best for you. I don't know what's best for you. I don't know what's best for me. God does. So when we go to say, God, I'm gonna obey you. You give me what you want. I'm gonna trust you in this. Then we find that abundant life. Verse 61 says, the cords of the wicked have bound me, but I have not forgotten your law. Okay, so the enemies had hindered the psalmist, but once again, he refuses to depart from the law of God. He wants to stay obedient and wants to stay faithful. And it's important, please, please hear me. It's a, it's a repetition, but it's important. Don't allow difficulties to drive you away from the word of God. Because the irony is the word of God warned you that difficulties would come. <laughs> the, the word of God tells us those who seek to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. And we're like, ah, oh, I'm being persecuted. Let me throw my Bible away. Well, the Bible told you it was going to be this way. So, so please don't allow difficulties to drive you away from the word of God. Verse 62, at midnight I will rise to give thanks to you because of your righteous judgments. What I take from this is anytime's a good time to thank the Lord for his word. <laughs> anytime, whether it be midnight or any other time. Verse 63, I am a companion of all who fear you and of those who keep your precepts. Here's another wonderful benefit and reward of obedience. Obedience fosters friendship with other believers. As we become obedient believers, other obedient believers will be our friends. Why? Virtue friendship, just like Aristotle said. That as we have the same virtues, we're about the same things, then we have this great relationship. I'm gonna quote from Amos. You know, if, if I gave you five minutes, it'd probably be a hard time to find Amos. Amos in the Bible says this, in Amos 3.3, 3, can two walk together unless they're agreed? And so two people won't walk together unless they're choosing to go the same way. So you and I as believers, when we just say, I'm going to obey the word of God and trust that God's going to bring other obedient friends in my life, he'll do that. He loves to put people together like that. Verse 64, final verse of today, says the earth O oh Lord, is full of your mercy. Teach me your statutes. It's pretty wild as we think about it because as we look at that word, it's full of your mercy. We look around and say, I don't know. There's a lot of unmerciful people in this world. What's going on? Well, that word mercy is actually that, the word we've seen many times before. It means God's faithful love or God's loving kindness. 
So you and I, when we're in kind of in the pit, we're in the midst of difficulty and hardship and everything is bad and it's never been good and all that kind of stuff, is just take a step back and just look around for God's loving kindness. And look around for God's mercy and, and realize what he's done in your life. Realize the benefits that you have, the things that you have to be thankful for. And so it's, it's really a beautiful thing. But here's the deal. When we're kind of, we have a, like our, our negative goggles on, you know, we can't see that. We got to take the negative goggles off and just like, we can only find God's faithful love. We we'll only see God's faithful love if we're looking for it. And so ask God to, to teach us his, his commandments and to obey him so they might see his love. All right, we'll close here for today, and I'll leave you with three action items, three practical applications before we move into our time of communion. Number one is that true faith is an active faith. True faith is an active faith. I'm sorry, James said, let us not be doers of the word. I'm sorry, let us be doers of the word. I messed that one up. Let us be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving ourselves. So uh, be people who put it into action, right? Just start small. The word of God said this, let me do that. You know, you're a teenager and it says, the word of God says, honor your mother and father. I'm just gonna go ahead and honor my mother and father. All right, that, that sort of thing. Okay, so true faith is an active faith. Number two, God's word will comfort us in affliction, but we must learn the word if we're to be comforted by it. Okay, so the key is continually consume the word of God. That way when affliction hits, you're, you're able to be comforted. Don't wait till affliction hits, to start studying the word of God. Okay, you, you need to hide God's word in your heart early, and then when affliction hits, then you're comforted by it. And then thirdly and finally is obedience brings a great reward, and that great reward is God himself. The greatest thing that God can give to us is himself. What makes heaven heaven, what makes eternal life eternal life is God. And so seek God. Because God himself, he, he wants to give himself to you because that's the greatest reward he can give for those he loves. Let's pray.